Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Happy Resurrection Day. Jesus is enough. Welcome to the digital stream of our Sunday message, our Easter Sunday message at Redeeming Hope. So thankful that you would join us today as we gather around his word and celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus through his word today. The title of our Easter morning message is The Road to the Burning Heart. And we're in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. What you're about to hear happens on uh, Resurrection Day. Uh, it's the same day of, uh, that Jesus was resurrected. He has this, this encounter with these two men on the road to Emmaus. Now, in northern New York, in the church I was a part of for years, every Easter Sunday there was this, uh, this older man named Dell uh, who uh, faithfully was at the door, uh, opening the door for, for people as they're coming in and going out. And, and whenever I'd enter the door on Easter Sunday, he would say, he is risen. And of course, the answer has to be, he is risen indeed. That's that's something that Christians have been saying to each other for years. And so today, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's what we see here in this text. Verse 13, Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, as they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. While he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. <clears throat> they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you 
for the testimony of your resurrection. And Lord, I pray today, not only would we see this testimony true in your word and in history, but we'd see that it is true in our hearts, that like these men, our hearts would burn within us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see how Jesus comes to these guys. How does he begin his whole conversation with them? With them, He basically says, what are you guys talking about? Isn't that great? Jesus engages them in the conversation they were having with themselves, and, and that's how he comes to us too. He asks us, hey, what, what are you talking about? What's your heart talking about? What are the inner conversations, the deepest conversations of your heart and of your life? Jesus enters into those conversations that we're having with ourselves, within ourselves, and within our culture. Jesus is not irrelevant. He enters into the deepest questions of your heart the very moment you have them. And what we see here in this text of scripture are three supernatural things happening. And by the way, the kind of events you would expect to see happening if God came to earth. You know, what, was his, what would his life look like? What would the circumstances and events be uh, around a life like that if God came to earth and wrapped himself in flesh? I am proposing to you and reminding you that the life Jesus Christ lived is exactly that life. And this is one of those examples as we see three supernatural things happening on the road to Emmaus and what I'm calling today the road to the burning heart. We see the blindness of these men and then we see their sight, their restored sight. Their eyes were open. And then finally we see the resurrection, three supernatural events. <clears throat> Let's start with the first one, their blindness. They're walking with Jesus and didn't recognize him. Go back to the text, verse 15 and 16. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You might say, well, why, why were their eyes kept? Why were they concealed? God had obviously a sovereign plan, a purpose, a timing for their eyes to be opened that would bring him maximum glory. Because otherwise you say, well, how could they not know who he was? I mean, I feel like this is like Clark Kent in original Superman, right? Have you ever seen the original Superman movie? Uh, frankly, any Superman movie where you know, Clark Kent... Uh, dresses up in his little reporter outfit. And, you know, everybody watching the movie is like, yo, Lois, that's, that's Superman. That, that's Clark Kent is Superman. Okay, just like little horn rim glasses or whatever he had, those, those, uh, those solid frame glasses, don't conceal the, the plain fact that that is Superman. Right? But Lois, she can't tell. It seems like it's easy to tell. How could Jimmy and Lois not know? And that's kind of what we're doing in this story. Like, how could these men who have known Jesus and walked with them and seen him in person so many times not recognized him? I saw a commercial this week advertising the return of Clay Aiken to American Idol where he got his start. He came on the show as a mentor to new contestants. And one girl that he was mentoring on the show said to him, before she knew who she was talking to. Yeah, my mother used to watch the show when Clay Aiken was on it. And he kind of snickers because she's talking to Clay Aiken. And this is kind of what's going on. Like, this is, how, how do Lois and Jimmy not recognize Clark Kent, right? This girl on American Idol, she didn't know she was talking to Clay Aiken. How do these guys not know they're talking to Jesus? We have to conclude there's something supernatural happening here. And it's the same with us. 
knowing who Jesus is, seeing Jesus is a supernatural experience. And once you meet Jesus, once you see him for who he is, you tend to have a moment where you say, how can anyone not believe in him? How can people not see him for who he is? It's so obvious. He's Lord and Christ and and King and Savior and treasure. How can people not see that? But let's remember, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. God has a plan in all of this and a timing in all of this and a purpose in all of this. And it requires, seeing Jesus requires supernatural intervention. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16 to Peter. Now, when the... When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to what Jesus said to him. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Just like in our day, in his day, people had all sorts of ideas about who Jesus was. Look at what people said. They uh, they say he's John the Baptist, which I don't understand how people could conclude that when he was a contemporary of John the Baptist. But um, somehow people thought that once John the Baptist disappeared, Jesus is sort of the new John the Baptist. Or others say Elijah, because there's prophesied in the Old Testament that Elijah would return. He's Elijah. Others say he's Jeremiah, one of the prophets. People had all kinds of ideas who who he was. And none of those things in themselves were bad. But Jesus is not just another good man or prophet pointing to the Messiah to come. Jesus is the point. In our day, people, again, have different ideas about who Jesus is. Not not even negative ideas. There's some who have negative ideas about him, but a lot of people have positive thoughts about Jesus. He's a good man. He's a revolutionary. He's a humanitarian. And though those things might ring true at some level, if that's all you think he is, you'd still be wrong because you'd still fall short of seeing him fully for who he is. Even these men in this story on the road to Emmaus, they said he was a mighty prophet. They recognized him as as this mighty man of God. But if that's all they thought he was, then even that fell short of fully seeing him for who he is. Who is he? Who is Jesus? You know, last week, Josh brought out his Lord of the Rings uh, illustration, so now I'm going to bring out mine. The revealing of Aragorn. You remember Aragorn, the, the, the deposed king who, you know, the whole series is sort of about and his return to the throne? In the first movie, we meet a man named Strider, who is actually King Aragorn. And at the the discovery of the Ring of Power, the symbol of the luring power of sin in the whole series, a character named Boromir wants to carry the ring into battle and wield its power. And Aragorn objects, Strider objects. No man can wield it, Boromir says. What does a common ranger know of this power? And Legolas, you know, the elf, says, This is no mere ranger. This is Aragorn, and you owe him your allegiance. Boromir didn't know who he was talking to. 
Maybe you don't know who you're walking with. You don't grasp the fullness of the answer to the question, who is Jesus? You've had him in your life. You think you've got him figured out. Maybe he's on the fringe or he's pretty important, but you don't fully have a grasp of who he is. And I'm telling you today, this is Jesus Christ, King of Kings, and you owe him your allegiance. This is Jesus Christ, your salvation, and you owe him your trust. I hope you know that Jesus isn't obligated to fit into your box, your view, your truth, or your comfort zone. Like Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia series. The lion, remember? The Aslan, the lion character. It was said of him, he's good, but not safe. It's the same with King Jesus. And this story about the road to Emmaus also says something to those of you that are Christian that have been walking with Jesus for a while. He's been in your life. You've gone to church, you've heard his teachings. You've seen the movie and you've heard the stories. But do you know, does your heart know who this really is? Are you living a life worthy of him? This is King Jesus and you owe him your allegiance. This is King Jesus and you owe him your trust. And so that was the first supernatural thing that happened was their eyes were concealed. That they, they had known him, they had seen him before and they, and they didn't recognize him. The second super, supernatural thing that happens is they received their sight. Their, their eyes were opened to who Jesus was as they heard the scriptures. What was the process of their eyes being opened? A couple of verses from this text. Verse 27. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine hearing Jesus teach the scriptures and conclude that they, are, that, that they spoke of him? I mean, <laughs> you've never heard a message like that. All the, all the things in scripture, all the prophets, all the things that were foretold. Jesus is saying, they testified of this savior who would come, this, mess, this Messiah who would come. And of course he didn't say it this plainly yet, but it says he testified of things concerning himself. He's saying, it's me, I'm that one. Verse 32, they said to each other, this is after Jesus left them, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. In verse 45, we see Jesus doing it again. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you see a theme here? It's a theme throughout the Bible, that God uses his word to open our spiritual eyes. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul prays for Christians in Ephesians 1. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and, the, and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That word enlightened in that prayer that Paul prayed is the Greek word apocalypsis. It means revelation. And what it means is the unveiling or to make an appearance. And that's what happens as we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and listen to the, the testimony of the apostles and listen to the gospels and listen to the word of Christ. Our eyes are opened. It's kind of like those 3D books. You ever see those things? I, I, I don't see a ton of them anymore, but 
it's like there's this digital imagery, this digital art on this page, and if you stare at it long enough, it's all these colors and lines and shapes. If you stare at it long enough, like about, you know, yay far from your face, and they say stare through it, all of a sudden this, this like 3D image, your mind begins to construct, put together the 3D image that's buried in the art, and all of a sudden you can see the art. Now, I wasn't very good at that when we used to have those books around the house, but my kids were amazing. They'd just be like, they'd open the book and they'd be like, oh, I see it. And I'd be like, I, I can't see it. You'd be like, oh, dad, you, don't look at it, look through it. And I'd just be like, okay. And I remember the one day I was just like, oh, I see it. It's just like, it, I'm like, it's a, it's a deer and a tree. I see, yeah, dad, yeah, dad, uh, There was this appearance. This revelation, I saw it, it's right in front of me. It was in front of me the whole time, but I didn't see it, and suddenly I see it. And that's what happens when the Spirit moves. And that's why we need to pray for each other, and that's why we need to hear the Word of God and receive it with faith, because all of a sudden, that image starts to come forward. Jesus was right in front of them, and they didn't recognize him, until there was this spiritual moment where they, they saw, they saw the, the image, they saw the image of God, they saw who it was. This apocalypsis, that's, you know, the idea of apocalypse comes from that Greek word. It's like the, the end things, the unveiling of the end things. And, and in a sense, like Jesus wants to make an apocalypsis. He wants to make an apocalypse in your life. He wants to reveal himself and, and, and unveil himself and show us. And he does it through his word. Now, maybe you say what I hear many people say. Well, the Bible makes no sense to me. We need the spirit of God to work. He opens our eyes. The Spirit opens our eyes to see who Jesus is. He opens our eyes to see what Jesus has done and he uses the scriptures to do it. Jesus, it says, interpreted to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. So Jesus affirmed the Old Testament as the word of God. He affirmed it as scripture that was inspired. When Jesus was on the cross, do you know what he did? He quoted scripture. In the darkest moment of Jesus' life, what comes out of him? Scripture comes out of him. He loved scripture. He affirmed scripture. He believed in scripture. And to deny that the scripture that we have is the, was the word of God is to deny the very perspective and belief and affirmation that Jesus had about the Bible. This is not just any book. It's special. It's unique. It's alive, it's full of power. It has a voice, the, vo the very voice of God speaks through it, not audibly, but he speaks. It's like John Piper said, do you wanna hear God speak audibly? Open the Bible and, and read out loud. <laughs> Some facts about the Bible. 66 books, 40 authors, 1500 years, three different languages, three different continents, written by authors from different backgrounds, shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, prophets, a military general, a cupbearer, and a priest, all penned portions of scripture. You would think this, the scripture would be disjunct with all these different authors, contradictory, confusing, but instead, the scripture has unity. It has one main character from beginning to end. It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's coming. The New Testament is the arrival of Jesus. He's here. The epistles are the explanation, the writings of the apostles are the explanation of what Jesus taught. Here's what he said, here's what he taught. And the book of Revelation is what you might call the consummation. It foretells the end things. 
He's coming again. He's coming again. The word of God, the gospel is full of spiritual power. And God uses his word to open our eyes, to unveil, to make an appearance, to give us this apocalypsis experience. He uses his word to do that. What what the scriptures teach about the scriptures is the idea of what's called inspiration. That God used men, he inspired men to write the Bible. And, and you know, the, the objection is, well, men wrote the Bible. Well, you know, I've got this pen here, it's a Bic. You can see that, Bic pen. You know, if I wrote a letter to you with a Bic pen, would you think it's silly if I signed Bic? Hey, thanks, for, good to see you. Thanks for coming over. Signed, Bic. Be like, why did he sign it Bic for? Of course, I wouldn't sign it Bic. Why would I sign it Bic? Bic is just the instrument I used to write it. Who wrote the letter? I did. And that's what inspiration teaches us. The inspiration of the scriptures teaches us. God used men as an instrument to write the Bible. And we see as we look at it from a big perspective that it's all about Jesus. And it has one theme. It's about Christ. It has unity. And if you look, it took 1,500 years from beginning to end to, for the Bible to be complete. There's only one author that I know who's 1,500 years old, and that's God himself. And so God used scripture to open their eyes. So we see the first supernatural event was they didn't recognize him. The second supernatural event was their eyes were open. And finally, we have the resurrection. And what we see with these men at Emmaus was that if in fact Christ was raised, then the resurrection settled the issue. Verse 34 says, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. In other words, hey, if this happened, everything he said is true. There's no reason to doubt that he is who he said he is and that he is the Messiah. Once they realized he'd risen from the dead, they had no reason to doubt anymore. There would be no doubting who he is, what he said, or what happened at the cross. They would base their whole lives on it. And they would base their lives on it to the point that they were willing to die rather than deny that their claims were true, that he was the Messiah, and that they'd seen him resurrected. Maybe you've never heard what happened to the disciples after Jesus ascended to heaven. Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten, then crucified. James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. James, son of Zebedee, beheaded. John, Christ's apostle, was boiled in oil. Somehow he escaped that. And then when that failed, he was exiled for his faith and he died of old age as a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. And that's where he wrote the book of Revelation and some of his, epistle, and his epistles. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, there was another Judas in Jesus' group. He was stoned to death. Matthew was speared to death. Peter was crucified upside down not considering himself worthy to die the same way as his Lord. Philip was crucified. Simon, the other Simon, was crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Matthias was stoned to death. There's only one reason these Jews were willing to suffer such terrible persecution for the name of Jesus. And it's because they had seen the Messiah crucified and then rise from the dead. And that was truth. 
that they believed was worth dying for. The Apostle Paul himself concedes how important the resurrection is to the Christian faith when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. And in context, he was talking about the resurrection. In other words, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're idiots because we've based our lives on something that is completely false or fabricated and has no basis for us to build our lives on. So he, he actually conceded that that is true. If the resurrection didn't happen, then it just erases everything that came before it. But if the resurrection did happen, then this is your king and you owe him your allegiance. This is your king and you owe him your trust. And I was out in Albany, New York a few years ago um, and I, I was sharing Christ with, with this guy in, in Albany, downtown Albany. And, uh, and he said, I, I just don't know which religion is true. There's so many religions. Uh, how, how, are we, how are we to know? And I said, well, and we were actually close to Saratoga, which has a racetrack. They raced the thoroughbred, thoroughbreds out there. And my dad had taken me up a few times as a kid. And I always loved going and watching the horses. And, and so I said to the guy, you know, um, I've been to Saratoga racetrack. Yeah, he says, I have too. I said, yeah. So let me ask you a question. If there were 10 horses racing and nine of them were dead, one of them was alive, which horse would you put the money on? And he said, the living horse. I said, amen. I said, Jesus is alive. If you go to his grave today, there's a sign hanging over the grave that says, he is not here. He is risen. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all to be most pitied. But if he's risen, then we are truly saved and we have truly found a treasure, a pearl of great price, a pearl of great price. And what was their response on the road to Emmaus? How, do, how did they conclude all this? They said, did not our hearts burn as we heard him speak and explain the scriptures? the road to the burning heart. Our eyes, are, there's this time in our lives when our eyes were kept from recognizing him. Then the Holy Spirit comes. We hear the gospel. We hear the word of Christ. Our eyes are open to who he is. We welcome him into our hearts and we become the children of the burning heart. Did not our hearts burn? The Holy Spirit comes in and indwells. It's interesting. Jesus left a tomb, didn't he? He left a tomb. But at the end of the story, he has a new place, doesn't he? That he resides. And it's in the hearts of these men. And we see as the New Testament unfolds, Paul said to God's people, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus left the tomb and now indwells the hearts of those who believe in him by faith. He now indwells the children of the burning heart. Does he indwell you today? Welcome him in. Believe and let your heart burn as the hearts of those did in the early church and as the hearts of those have throughout the ages who have come to know that he is the one. I pray you enjoy your family on Easter. I pray that 
the circumstances of your life are good and healthy and prosperous. But the greatest thing I could hope for and pray for for you is that your heart would burn. And I wanna ask for that right now. Father, I pray for all those hearing that we turn away from this world, its traps, its idols, its sins, its temptations, and turn to you and find the, find the pearl of great price. Let our hearts burn within us, Lord, as we celebrate Easter with our families, with our church families, with our friends. Let our hearts burn within us as we live our lives for your glory and not our own. King Jesus, we owe you our allegiance and our trust. Sit on the throne of our hearts, I pray. And help us to learn what it means to live in this world as your children and to mine the depths of your love and grace in your word in the days and ages to come. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And remember, Jesus is enough. God bless you. Happy Resurrection Day. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.